Obviously, I wasn't the only one that was really impacted by that worship service. Uh, I needed that today. I've had one of those weeks, um, and I know I'm not the only one. I've talked to several of you, and you've had one of those weeks too. And I was on a business trip, and it was a little longer than I normally go. And when I got back home, I could not figure out for the life of me what day it was all week long. It was just terrible. You know, I've got all this electronic stuff that tells you what day it is, but I was just constantly thinking I was on the wrong day and doing the wrong day, wrong things, and just really, really crazy. It got to the point, I mean, it was just so just upside down that I just did what I should have done first and just talked to the Lord about it. And I said, God, what's going on? I mean, I got calendars, I got computers, got all sorts. I can't figure out what day I'm on, can't figure out what time it is. You know, I, I didn't go to a different time zone. I have no excuse for this, what's going on. And I believe the Lord just really spoke very clearly to me just to say, listen, you're spinning out because you need to reorient yourself. And I, I know the power of that. I've, I've lived it for many decades, and I'm seeing that now over and over again. There's a lot of things that I do that require recalibration. You can use a tool, but once that tool is used, it has to be recalibrated so it gives you good information back. So I just, I had to say, just ask the Lord for forgiveness and say, you're right, I've gotten out of whack. I need to be recalibrated. So this is what I did. And perhaps if you've had one of those weeks too, this might be an encouragement to you as well. I start off with um, not only talking to God, but also listening. Oftentimes when we pray, it's a monologue. It's us telling God stuff and never expecting God to tell us anything. And he will tell you, he will speak back to you. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is to get into his word. And I want to speak a little bit more about that in, in just a little bit. But um, that was really, really important to in that reorienting is to spend time you know, reading God's word, listening to what it had to say, seeing how it applied to my life. And then the third thing that I, that I needed to do was to share what was going on in my life with others. I told Rick this this morning when we prayed together, um, but I'll, I'll share it with you as well. I've the business where I work at has hired a consultant, and the consultant's not opposed to Christ, um, but is not a follower of Jesus. So we've had that spiritual conversation, and uh, I just, I was having such a terrible week. You know, I, I wrote him in an email. I just, I said, the email subject line was like, I'm down, and I just listed out why I was struggling this week, and it's all business-related stuff, you know, why I was struggling this week. And it must have been pathetic enough that he called me. You know, he wasn't obligated to call me. He's like, man, this guy needs some help. So he, he called me. And the, the very first thing that, that he says is, how are you? And he was, he was, um, he, it, it was a leading question. So, because he already knew how I was. It was in the subject line of my email. I'm down. But he wanted to know, how are you? And I replied as I reply. I am blessed. And he said, I knew you were going to say that. I said, yes, because it's true. Even though I'm down, I'm still blessed. And so we were able to have that, that spiritual conversation while I was whining about how tough my business week was. Um, and so just that, that sharing of life with other people is just so, so very important. It helps us to recalibrate, to reorient where we're at. Oftentimes, Satan will allow us to get into a, what another business book calls a doom loop. And so we believe what we feel because we feel that way and we believe it and it just keeps on going around and around and around. We never escape. And one of the ways out of that is to, to share what's going on in our life. And so 
If you had one of those weeks, I just really want to encourage you, talk to God, listen to what he says back to you, spend time in his word, and share what's going on with other people. Even if it's somebody that got hired to listen to you, it's okay. <laughs> share what's going on with other people. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to share your word today. Lord, for the, just the joy it is to know it is well, to, to know that um, the grave is empty, and it doesn't matter how weird the world gets, how off I get, that the truth of reality is that you've conquered death. You've given me the grace of forgiveness and life abundant that comes through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. And that's where I start every morning, just absolutely flooded with your mercies that have been renewed that day. And God, I'd ask that as we come together to hear from you through the teaching of your word, through the singing of lyrics that speak truth, Father, through the interaction that we have with each other, that God, that we would leave this place different than when we came because we've met you here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to find Romans, the 12th chapter. And if you don't, there's Bibles in front of you. And if you're not going to do that either, the text should be on the screens above me. But I really want to encourage you to have God's Word in your hand and to take some notes. Um, some things that I'm going to share with you today will be things that are a little bit maybe outside of your common experience uh, or maybe your common concept of what it means to be a Christian, or if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, what's your common concept of what Christians are. And for some of you, some of the things I'm going to share today are very old hat. I mean, they're things that you've known maybe for years or decades. And so what I want to encourage you, if the, if the things, if the principles I'm teaching to you today are familiar, I want you to, to take one extra step and say, okay, this is familiar to me. I'm, I'm, this isn't new I want you to ask yourself this question, how am I currently applying it to my life? One of the things that I've been asked over and over and over again since I came last year in August is, what's the next step? What are we going to do? How are we going to do? And just the, like somehow or another, uh, I came with this instruction book and we're going to run this procedure and solve the world's problems or at least Highland Hills problems. That's the way we're going to do it. Um, that really wasn't why I came in the first place. And the second is I don't have it. So there's kind of a double problem there. But that doesn't mean that the answer doesn't, it doesn't exist because it does. And it doesn't mean that you can't participate because you must. You know, I share with you some things that are absolutely crucial that, that cannot be got around, cannot be forgot, have to be consistently absolutely practice from from day one all the way through we just need to consistently do these things and i'm gonna remind you of them as as we we go through today as well but i really want to introduce to you what i believe is going to be helpful over the next couple months and prayerfully maybe for the rest of the life of this congregation and that's a very simple principle and i'm going to teach you the the biblical background of this principle uh, over the next few minutes, and it's the pr principle of being equipped. The scripture says that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, everything, so that we don't have to go get something else in order to do what God's designed us to do, that God's already given it to us. What we need to do is to employ and deploy the tools that we already have. And so one of the things that 
I, I really want to share with you today is this, this idea that we are being equipped, that we can be excited because we are qualified and we're unbelievably invested people. Now, that may not be descriptive of where you're at right now, but I'm going to encourage you to get there. Because if your sin is forgiven, you should be excited about it. Amen? If the Holy Spirit indwells you and the promise that Jesus had to his disciples to give them life abundantly, uh, that should be exciting. Amen? If you know that no matter how sick you get, no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how scary death looks to you, that in the end it will hold you not that you'll get to spend eternity experiencing the reward of a life lived in obedience to Christ forever and ever and ever. You don't have to protect it. You don't have to insure it. You don't have to dust it. You just get to enjoy it and enjoy the presence of God and those that have gone on before. And there will be no fighting, no gossiping, no, no trouble, that we'll just love each other, that when we look at each other, we won't see all those things that separate us, whether it be gender or skin color or our social history or our economic status. None of those things will be buried barriers anymore. We'll just get to live in joy and peace forever and ever. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, so we got some things to be excited about, and I can go on and on and on about those things that we as Christians can be excited about, but what we tend to do is we tend to adopt what's going on in the world, and so we get unexcited about everything, including our relationship with God, which should be the thing that we're the most excited about. It should. Because it's the thing that matters more than any other thing in our life, period. It is indeed, for those of us in Christ, it is life. We even sing that song, every breath I breathe is praise to you. Because it is from you that I have this breath to begin with. We should mean that. And it's exciting. So... How are we qualified? I'm going to talk about that in a second, so we'll have to get to that. But unbelievably invested people. What is that all about? Well, in this world right now, and it's probably always been that way, we always invest where we have an expectation of what? A return. Thank you. We invest where we have an expectation of return. So we... If those of us are more strategic, we'll invest where we have the expectation of the most return. And so one of the things that any good, pragmatic, strategic investor will do will not be in church. Let's just be honest, won't be in church. Because when you give through the church financially, do you get it back with interest? No, you don't. It goes away, Right? And if the churches run well, it goes away for the sake of God's kingdom, but that's another conversation entirely. If you give time, does it make your next day 26 hours instead of 24? No. Uh, now, it's, some of you are always saying, well, you know, you get other things, and it's like, okay, that's true. It's true, you do, do get some things, but that's not the point. What's unbelievable about the investment that Christians make is that the investment that Christians make are, is a reflection of the investment made in us. Think about it. If, if you're involved in a congregation or you're involved in a club or you're involved in anything that where groups of people are put together, you're going to have all sorts of people problems because people are there. 
And you're going to have to figure out, does it, is it an advantage? So if you're maybe part of a business group, does this give me enough information that's an advantage? Does this give me enough connection that's an advantage? But in Christianity, in true Christianity, when we invest, we're reflecting that we are loved. And so we're loving other people. Does that sound familiar? Those who've been hanging out in church for very long, does that sound? A nod will do. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's like foundational. We love because we've first been loved. And so we can be unbelievably invested people, not because we're sold out to the organization, but because we are just absolutely showered with love and it is constantly being poured into us. And so that we can pour that out because it, we know it can never go away. We've always got more to invest and that we can do this in a way that just doesn't make any sense because of Christ in us. That's the unbelievable part. And so we can continue to give and give freely because we're not pulling from our own resources, which will eventually run out. We'll emotionally be drained. We'll be drained financially. We'll be drained time-wise. Those things will go away. Those are practical things. But the thing that we have to invest is God's love, which allows us to invest our time, allows us to invest our finances, allows us to invest who we are unbelievably because it's not coming from us. It's coming from him. And so this is a, a different mindset. And it allows us to do things from a position of joy rather than from obligation. It allows us to do things from a position of obedience rather than return. And it's revolutionary. And if we as God's people in this place will say, yes, we're going to do this. Not because Robert said to do it, but because... These are biblical principles upon which the church has survived for a millennium now. And we're going to just be part of what God's been doing for a long, long time. So Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read the 4th through the 11th verse. I'm going to encourage you to read along and to respond as we always do. Paul writes to the church at Rome, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with whose body? Christ's body. We are how many parts? We are how many parts? Many parts of one body. And we all belong to who? Each other. Now, just in that one sentence alone, that's unbelievably invested. Because we don't like to belong to each other. Let's be honest. We really don't. Especially if we think that we may belong to somebody we don't really like. We kind of want to be able to... to to be separated. That's opposite of investing. But the scripture, it's as clear as it can be. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. I love, I love this. Um, I'm, I don't share with you much, much Greek because it's really not all that important. But uh, I, I want to kind of share with you the, the repetitive nature of this sentence. The, the Greek word for grace is charis. You may have already heard this. And Paul is repeating this over and over again. Different forms of the exact same word. In his charis, God says, God has charised us different charises for doing certain things well. It's like, well, that's kind of confusing. Not really. The gift comes from the giver. 
right? That's common sense. And God's gift is to us different gifts to share to others. But it all comes from the single source. Keep that in mind. We're going to press on. So if God has given you or graced you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be what? Encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just what to love others? Pretend, right? We love to pretend, don't we? Hey, how are you? I don't care. But I'm asking you, please don't tell me the truth. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with what kind of affection? Genuine. I love you. Love you too. Creep. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I have, this, I, have this, I have this saying, and if we get to hang out very much longer, you're going to hear me say it. Criticism should always come with names attached, and compliments should be anonymous. Why? Because if somebody's being critical, they should stand up for whatever it is that, that they need to criticize. And they should be confident in that. I mean, we need to be critical of things and to, to share things to help each other to grow. It's actually a biblical principle. And so if a criticism is anonymous, it's not helpful. It's like shooting a gun into the air and hoping that it hits somebody or something. It's, it's, it's not helpful. But if you can talk to them and say, hey, I, I understand that you have a concern about this and you have a conversation, it's like, okay, well, this is helpful. Thank you for sharing with me you know, your criticism so I can get better or so that our organization can get better or whatever it, it be. But criticism should always come with names attached. But compliments should be anonymous. Why? Because wouldn't it be far better that if you're walking through life wondering, is that the person that said something nice about me rather than the reverse? Because that's normally how we do it. Well, somebody said that, you know, you're a creep. And that, uh, you know, the way that you come across is just really off-putting. I just wanted to share that with you. So what do you do? You look around. It's like, well, who thinks I'm a creep? And who thinks the way I come by is off-putting? And, you know, then everybody becomes an enemy, right? But the exact opposite principle is true, isn't it? Somebody said, you know what? You made the biggest difference in their life. And your just smile just really just lit up their day. And I just wanted to share with you that even that small thing of just grinning broadly and saying hello to somebody made a big difference in somebody's life. Wouldn't it be great to wonder who it was and to spend your day wondering how you blessed somebody? 
So there you go. Criticism should always come with names attached. Compliments should be anonymous. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to give you some, some good things, some practical things, some next steps, because folks have been just like, what's next steps? What's next steps? Okay, well, here we go. Here's some next steps, and we're going to talk some more about them next week, uh, especially in relation to uh, studying God's Word. Uh, the books from 40 Days in God's Word have been ordered, and so they'll come tomorrow. We did, we we're hoping to get them this week. They didn't come in this week, but it's all right. Studying God's Word will be just as great next week as it is this week. So, and it gives me actually another week to share some more of my heart with you as well. And so had to adjust my plan a little bit, but I'm really excited about that adjustment. I think it was from, from the Lord, so I hope you believe that as well. So here's some principles I want to share with you. First thing that Paul says in this passage is that unity is achieved through dependent individuality. And he compares our connection in Christ to a body, right? And this has been spoken of in lots of different contexts in business and in church and in other organizations, you know, that as a, we are, we're, we are a living thing together and we have to, to, to work together to make things happen. Well, in, in the biblical's understanding, it's pressed to the, to the furthest extent. And that is that, that although we are individuals, and the, the scripture is really great about maintaining the individuality of people who have a relationship with God. We know them as individuals. We know Jonah and David and Isaiah. Uh, we know Samuel. And we know Adam and Eve and Seth and Caleb and Joshua. We know all of these people as individuals but they're in relationship to other individuals and how they impacted the whole. And so this tension of I'm, I'm an individual, I'm unique, and I'm part of God's plan, and I'm absolutely connected to this body, this is, this is a very biblical understanding, a very biblical worldview. And what we like to think, and I, growing up in the Northwest, it's a very spiritual place, very much not Christian, but very spiritual place, People that believed that there was a God would oftentimes tell me this when I'd be sharing the gospel with them. Well, I, I worship out in the, in the woods. And there was lots of woods where I came from, tons of woods, more than you can imagine. I mean, miles and miles and miles of nothing but woods. And so um, the idea was that they didn't need other people in order to worship, that they could be by themselves and worship, which is true to a very small extent. When we become ascetics, when we go out and get up in our deer stand and sit and watch the sunrise up and give praise to God for the sunrise and then shoot a deer and drag it home, you know, that might be a good thing, but it's not the way God's designed us. And it's not creating what we need, and that's unity, because I'm by myself. When we truly have unity is when we realize that I depend on you. And depend on who God made you to be. Now I'm hoping and I'm praying and I'm going to encourage that you are the person that God's designed you to be. You're being obedient to him because if you're not, it's going to make life miserable for both of us. But I need you. I can't do life in Christ without you. Period. And I could share with you story after story after story after story after story. I mean, hours of stories of being involved with people and how difficult it is. And how hurtful it's been. I could do what's been done to me and pull up my shirt and show you my scars, so to speak. 
of all the difficult things that I've endured being involved in God's people, with God's people. But here's the truth. God knows who we are, and he still collected us together from the 12 who didn't get along. You should remember this. If you know the gospel at all, they didn't get along. They argued with each other, and they were jealous of each other. They did all the things that people do. But he said, listen, this is my commandment to you, that you love one another. How? Do you remember? As I have loved you. And so Jesus says to his original disciples and to every generation afterwards, you cannot do this life by yourself. It's not allowed. You have to be who you are and learn how to love other people so that we can be his body and demonstrate that only God could do this. Because only he can do it. Let's be honest. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard we try, we're going to annoy each other. I'm really good at it. Don't try to be annoying but I can manage it really well. But when we understand that God has put these parts in us because we're a body, then we can really genuinely love each other, which he's going to get to in just a little bit. So unity is achieved through dependent individuality, just like there are things in our bodies that work to keep us together, right? Anybody ever have a fever? Yeah, uh, some of you have had, some of you have been healthy your whole life. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, I've met thousands of people, and that's not an exaggeration, thousands of people. I've had personal conversations probably with over a 1,000 people, maybe into the thousands of people. I mean, beyond just, hey, how are you? Fine. You know, what do you do? That I mean, deeper than that, okay? I've never met an individual, never one, that said, I have not had a fever in like three months I need to have a fever. I don't know what's the matter with me. That, that, that achy, clammy, sweaty, I just, I haven't had it go on. Do you think I should go see the doctor? Nobody, not one. In all those conversations, and believe me, I've talked about a lot of stuff that would make you want to puke straight up right now. Never once. But those who understand our biology understand how important a good fever is. Because it's designed by God to get bad stuff out, right? And sometimes we even know that in our minds when we get one. But what do we normally do when we get a fever? We go to the medicine cabinet and do what? get something to make it stop or slow down. Are you following me? So in our own bodies, we understand that there are irritants, there are things that happen, but there's a purpose behind them. And that our body is able to stick together if it's healthy because of those things. And when those things run amok, then we call them bad words, like cancer, right? What is cancer? Cancer is the multiplication of cells that are undifferentiated in some particular part of our body. And there's different kinds of undifferentiated cells, but it's not good because why? It ain't working with the rest of it, right? Are you following me? So, you know, if if God's given these beautiful pictures and we just need to think about them and think them through a little bit. You know, there are people in every congregation who are fevers, 
We want to take some ibuprofen, acetaminophen, Advil, whatever it is, to knock them down a little bit or get rid of them altogether. But when we understand that God has placed every person who's part of God's family into the, that, that fellowship for the sake of the whole body, and each individual realizes that as well, so there's, there's two sides to that sword, then true unity happens, and we can really learn to love and appreciate each other. Second thing Paul says in this passage is grace received is grace to operate. Verse 6, in his grace, or because of his charisma, charismata, different versions of this very same word, God has graced us with different graces for doing certain things well. So when we operate in our Christian life, when we do the things that we do from day, whether it be in business or in our work with our family or in our work in our community or in our sports teams or whatever we do, if we remember that we are operating because we've been given gifts from God, then we can turn around and be a gift giver, not because we have lots of resources, but because we have lots of gifts that come from God continuously, and that becomes our way of operating. And it eliminates things that we tend to like to do because it's emotionally sometimes satisfying. You ever been in one of those situations where somebody really is vulnerable and they've had it coming for a long time and you know, you're locked and loaded and man, you let it go because you've been waiting for that opportunity to make your point, to get back, to do something that lets them know how they've hurt you or disappointed you or how much trouble they've made for you or fill in the blank of humanity. It's a much different perspective on life when we look at opportunities to interact with somebody to be a giver of the gift that we've received. And for some of you, like, I have no idea what that dude's talking about. And I understand that. I'm, I will not fuss at you a bit. Here's my challenge to you. If you belong to Jesus, that's the way you got to start to think. Not how am I going to get back? How am I going to maintain control? How am I going to do what I need to do or what I think is right? But how am I going to distribute the gift that God has given to me, others, so that they can distribute the gift that God has given to them through me and it can continue to do what we put in a movie a decade two ago of paying it forward? You know, paying it forward is, is, is not a new Hollywood idea. It's the basis upon which every Christian is supposed to operate. Because everything that I do, the very breath that I take, is a gift from God. And so I have this opportunity and indeed this obligation to give as much away as I possibly can. Not from me, but from God. This was really illustrated for me one time a long, long time ago. It was, it was a really weird situation. I had this friend, and... Uh, he was really, he had a tough life. His, um, he and his wife, they married young. They had children young. Um, she was very uh, deeply afflicted with um, bipolar disease. So sometimes she would be the most wonderful, engaging person, and then she would switch to the other side of being suicidal. And when she was swinging from one side to another, it was, it was, it was horrifying. It just, it was horrifying. Um, it, it was constant stress on him with his kids because if she was 
if she was on the one side, she'd be great and attentive on mother. On the other side, she wouldn't feed them. Sometimes it'd be abusive. I mean, just it was just a crazy situation um, to, to deal with uh, for him and for those that wanted to help him in, in his life. It was just really, really rough. It made it hard for him to keep a job because sometimes he'd have to rush home in the middle of the day. It was just a tough, tough, tough situation. And, you know, she wasn't doing it intentionally. Her chemistry was just all just goofed up. And, and it, it was just, it was hard. And I remember I went over just to visit him and encourage him and see what's going on. And, and I could tell that there was something going on with him. You know, because you've ever had one of those conversations to where, you know, you know that there's another conversation going on that you're not part of, you know, but it's going on nonetheless. And so uh, I could tell all the way through the you know, hour I was hanging out with them that there was this other conversation going on. And so nothing happened. I said goodbye. He said, hey, can I walk you out to your car? And it's like, well, it's a nice sunny day. I guess so. <laughs> I can manage, but go ahead. And so we, we, got to, we got to the car, and he said, he said, I don't know how to ask you this. He said, but this has been a really difficult week for me financially. And man, I need diapers. Um, do you have any money that you can give to me for diapers? It's like, well, this is an awkward conversation for me to have with you. The answer is no. I mean, I genuinely have no money. I'd be happy to give it to you if I had money. Happy to. I, at that particular day, the bank account was done. It was zeroed or as close as you could get without going into the red. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I've done that lots of times. I had no money. I had no money at all. And so I, I looked him straight in the face and I said, man, I, I'd be happy to, but I don't got any money at all. I'm so sorry. Um, let me see what I can do to try to, to rouse up some funds, maybe ask some other folks. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. I, I don't feel any com comfortable asking anybody but you. I said, really, I don't mind to do that. I said, no, no, don't, don't do that. I was like, oh, all right. So I, I turned around uh, to get in my car, and I remember feelings burning in my chest. And I was like, that's weird. What am I burning in my chest? And so I did this, and in my shirt pocket was a check that a friend who never owed me money ever had given me. And I'd forgotten about it. I'd stuck it in my pocket. You'd think if I had nothing in the bank, that's what I would have gone directly to the bank and did. But just kind of tell you what kind of knucklehead I am. I'd forgotten about it. And it, it's there. And it wasn't a bunch of money, but it was enough for a box of diapers. And so I pulled it out. And I'm like, wow, God. And so he'd start walking away. I said, wait, 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 just a second. God gave me diaper money. And, and, and he looked at me like, What? Like, did God just put that in your pocket? You know, I'm just like, no, 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 I'd forgotten about this. But it was so amazing because I'd just gotten that check that day. I'd stuck it in my pocket, and in, that would have gone through the wash. I just, again, I'm just being honest with you. That would have gone to the wash. Just to, again, that's just a level of knucklehead. If you don't believe me, ask Michelle. She will affirm he's that big of a knucklehead. But I had it on that day so that I could give it away. And I knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. That was the happiest diaper money I've ever had before or since. Because it was a, an illustration of this principle of God's grace given through. That wasn't my money. If it had been my money, it would have been in my bank. It was God making sure that I had diaper money for my friend who needed it. Folks, 
God does that constantly for you all the time. He will let you have a grand day so that somebody who's having a down day can receive encouragement from you. He will let you have a check in your pocket so you can pay for somebody else's diapers. He will allow you to see something that nobody else can see so that the problem can be resolved. God graces us this way. And the purpose of that grace is so that we can give it away. Does that make sense? Okay, good, because I need to move on. I'm going to run myself out of time once again. The next principle I want to share, and this is one that's very hotly debated, and so I, I, I want to let you know that it's very, very hotly debated. I'm absolutely convinced. Those of you who have known me for a long time know that I have a thing called Bob's Brackets when I give you my opinion and say, listen, this is just Bob Brackets. It's my opinion. I'm going to throw it out here. You can take it or leave it. I understand. It's just my opinion. This doesn't fall in this category. This is something that I'm absolutely convicted of. And it's simply this. What we do arises from who we are. What we do arises from who we are. When I was growing up in the church, I was told that God, when when I got saved, gave me these spiritual gifts. And so they were outside of me and they were given to me and so that I needed to work those things out. And that's what I was taught. And as I learned more and more of the scripture, that became more and more unfamiliar to me. Because in the scripture, it says that God knew me before the foundations of the earth. Not even before my mom knew that she was pregnant, before the earth was actually created, he knew me and he knew you. And that God is sovereign in all things and that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared. Does anybody know when he prepared them? Beforehand, I heard somebody say that, thank you, that God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. And so it made no sense to me biblically, that God would give me gifts after my salvation that I didn't have before. And so this is my conviction, that God makes each one of us uniquely capable of making an incredible contribution to his kingdom. And whether we do that or don't do that is is dependent on our obedience. We do not make a contribution to God's kingdom, not because we're not gifted, it's because we're not obedient. I know, sorry, it's on the toes, but it's true. When Paul gives this list, he says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. I believe he made us that way from the very beginning. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, which is to speak in his stead, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Again, gift, gift. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. Do what God designed you to do, but do it in a way that reflects his authority in your life. Then and only then is it a true gift. I've been in churches that have had incredible bands. Mind-boggling. Michelle and I went to church in Southern California. As, as, um, as we sat there with thousands of other people, one vocalist after another would say it was like watching American Idol and The Voice and not not the America's Got Talent you know the ones that they eh, 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 but the ones are they hit the golden buzzer one right after the other I mean it was mind-blowing just the amazing talent that was collected at, at this congregation and it would be really easy to say oh man all of those people are sharing their gift somewhere and somewhere Some were just sharing their talent. And they were doing it for the exact reason that I gave to them. Wow, you're amazing. I've never heard a voice. I mean, you you should go on the show, right? 
It wasn't anything about worship. It was all about, look at me, listen to me, see how good I am about this. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. We can be very gifted at something and use it for our own purposes, or we can be very gifted at something and use it for the glory of God. I have a daughter who is incredibly argumentative. I think she's lost six or seven arguments in her life. Two of them to me. I don't know about the other five. It would have been real easy for me as a father to say, hey, you need to knock this off. And I did from time to time. Because it's annoying when you're having a four-year-old telling you that you're wrong about life in general. Well, she did on a regular basis. And why you're wrong. It's like, okay. But instead, because of this conviction, I said, listen, how you're employing this thing that God created you to do is not good. So let's work together on making it so that it is good. So if there's a situation between right and wrong that needs to be argued, I want her in the room because she's awesome. And she's learned over the years to do it with compassion more times than not and with love more times than not and to be very empathetic with the person who's getting destroyed by her arguments more times than not. God has given us gifts. It's who we are. And so what we do should arise from an understanding of, hey, God's created me in this ability to do this, and I'm going to do it to honor him and to be obedient to him, period. Not for my own advancement, not for my own enrichment, not for my own power, not for my own this, my own that, but for his glory and as a reflection of his gift through me. You have to think about that, but trust me, it will revolutionize your life if you begin to be obedient in this way. So Paul gives, by the power of the Holy Spirit, some very specific instructions of things that we must do. We talked about one of them earlier. We have to love without hypocrisy. That's a hard thing to do because we are very naturally hypocrites. We are two-faced. That's what that word means, to have one face, hey, I love you, and the other thing is like, I hate your guts, right? We can do that. Paul says, don't. Because the truth resides in you, and the truth has not two faces. It has just one. And so when you genuinely love somebody, you have to just really love them, period. That's it. No buts, no ands, no gets, no other conjunctions. It's just love. Be straightforward. Simply love. Period. Then he says, you got to hold tight to what is good. I love the picture of that. I think that what's bad sticks to us pretty well. Um, every portion of the United States has a little bit different name for these, these plants, but most of you who've been outside at all know exactly what I'm going to talk about. There's this plant that has these little bitty seeds about this big, and they stick to anything. You know, God help you if your animal goes through one of those things. You'll, be, you'll just like shave it off, you know, the kind of thing. If you're wearing like wool socks and you're walking through them, you know, good luck. You'll be picking those things out for years. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. In my mind, that's the picture of bad stuff. 
We don't have to do a thing. We just need to be in the general vicinity and there it is. I mean, and getting it off is an effort. So I think bad stuff just is that way. What Paul says that we have the authority to do in Christ is cling tightly to what's good. Because what's good is harder to hold on to, isn't it? And so if we find something that's good and it's honorable and it's, it's treasured and, and it's something that I can give away, then I want to hold tightly to that so that I have it when it's time for it to be used. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we spend so much time picking all the little bad stuff out that we forget that we kind of hold tightly to the things that are good and really celebrate that. I'm involved in one environment. I won't tell you which one it is. But they just absolutely refuse to celebrate anything. I mean, there can be just major victory. And it's like, yeah. And I've even pointed out, it's like, why can't we ever just have one moment of, hey, this is great. This is awesome. This is really cool. Even if it's just for a moment. And then we can start picking all the bad stuff again. You know and I've got nowhere, zero. And I've said this multiple times. I've got some dirty looks. I'm not going to quit because I understand this principle of when good comes, grab it, tackle it. Let it drag you along for a little bit, right? It's worth it. Hold tightly to what is good. Delight in diligently building up. I want to just be real practical with you about this. We don't build up because of gravity. It's gravity's fault true what do you have to do to tear down just let it drop right sometimes we do that with one word somebody does something stupid irrelevant gravity takes over bam it's there but when you build up, you got to fight against it, don't you? Hey, that was, that was really wonderful what you did. I really appreciate that. Hey, you've got this foundation here. I've got a piece. Let's put it up here. Ooh, that's kind of wobbly. Who has the shim to get it to not wobble anymore? And then you start building up and building up and building up and building up. It requires diligence. It requires effort. And we got to realize that gravity is working against us the whole time. Right? Anybody that's built anything knows that gravity is a very important thing to take into account. I have this thing, and I've, I think I'm there, but I'm not sure yet because every day is a new day. I have this thing about putting hammers on top of my ladder. For if, if you've built anything, you know that on the scale of dumb things to do, that's a 10. Why? Gravity. It is. It is. And so in building up, I've got to constantly be concerned with gravity. Because it's not my friend. It works against everything that I do. And it works against everything you do. But do you want? God is bigger than gravity. He's given us not only the responsibility, but the absolute command to diligently build up. So I'm going to challenge you this week. What are you going to do to build up? Particularly brothers and sisters in Christ. Lastly, serve Jesus in others. The scripture says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord 
enthusiastically. And so when we realize that when we change somebody else's kid's diaper down in, in the kid's area, or we share a note with somebody who's in need, or we're concerned about somebody's life that we have no direct connection to, or, 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 we're not serving them. They're being served. We're serving the Lord. It casts everything in it because it becomes real easy to become upset. I mean, my mom was upset a lot. She would say, you know, I cook and I clean for you all and you do nothing but make messes. Your mama ever say that? No, somebody was perfect here. My mom did, and then, you know, she was right. You know, she did all those things, and we were very good at making messes. But the idea there is she wasn't serving us because serving us is a consistent frustration. As much as she loved us, it's a consistent frustration because we're people and we make messes. But if I'm serving the Lord, then the mess is not my mess. It's the Lord's mess. And I can love you. And I can also tell you to clean up your own room. 2 Peter 1.3 says this. By his divine power, God has given us what? Everything we need for living what? Is that up there? By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for what? Living a godly life. Received all of this. All of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And so, in the next week, we'll get the books distributed, hopefully this week and next, next weekend, you have an opportunity to start spending time daily in God's Word. And I'm really going to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, to either form one or to get into one. I look forward to being in a small group every Sunday morning. I'm encouraged by it. Um, I learn from it. Every, I've got a graduate degree in Bible stuff. Um, but... I can honestly say there's never been a week I haven't learned something or seen something differently that I hadn't noticed before. Really encourage you to be connected because we are a unity of different parts, individuals connected together as a unity in, in Christ. I'm going to challenge you next week. So if you don't want to be challenged, don't come to worship next week. Um, just please stay home. Don't watch on Facebook either because I might challenge you on Facebook too. I'm going to challenge you next week to answer this question, so if you're willing to be challenged, I want you to think about this and pray about this over this week. What it is it that God created me to be that I need to do? Because what I do is a reflection of who I am. So we're going to ask that question, and then next week I'm going to give you a, an opportunity to, to share an answer. You know, what, what is it that God's created me to do? I mean, I, somebody anticipated this and actually emailed me this week. Um, they, they've been asking me what's going on, and I'm just sharing because I'm trying to be as open to the book as I can. And so they, they preemptively emailed me and said, hey, this is, what I, this is what I God's made me to do. Is this okay? It's like, yeah. Well, but, you know, and then they gave all the reasons why it 
wouldn't advance my particular agenda. It's like my agenda is irrelevant. God's agenda is relevant. And obviously, he's created you to do this. And so, yes, then it's my opportunity, my, my obligation to help you to do what God's created you to do because this is good. This is a good thing. But they were really apologetic about wanting to do this very good thing. Don't be apologetic. If God's designed you to do a very good thing, then let's celebrate together. It's a very good thing. And work diligently to build each other up so, so that we can do good things. Hopefully that doesn't sound too threatening. But that's what we're going to do next week. So, And as we gather those responses, then allow us as a congregation to say, okay, this is what God has given to us in gifts. You and we're going to reflect what God's given to us in gifts by doing what God has designed us to do. Build each other up and build up what God's designed us to do so that we can move forward and impact this community and this state, this nation, and this world for the sake of Christ. Not because of our abilities, but because of the gifts that he's given to us to give to others through us. And that way we can be excited, qualified, unbelievably invested people and really reflect the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. I hope that I've not been too simplistic for you or too complicated for you, but the Holy Spirit has really stirred your heart. And so we're going to have a time to respond, and I'm going to encourage you to do that. Um, you're welcome to come pray on these stairs. Turn around and kneel right where you're at. It matters not to me. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, I, I always consider it an honor to pray with people. I'll be here in the front. And so... Let's have a time uh, to respond to the teaching of God's word and really to allow God to, to prepare our hearts, not only for what's going to happen over the next few moments, but what's going to happen over the next few days, weeks, and should the Lord tarry, uh, even years to come. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for the joy of being someone who is equipped and who has been given the responsibility of equipping others. Lord, I pray that you would stir in the hearts of these who've gathered here today things that I can't even imagine. And Lord, I thank you that you do exactly that. You do things that I cannot even imagine. And that your work is so much bigger than my boxes and your character is so much grander than any vision I could see. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to reflect this day who you are. Lord, for those that are here today that have yet to become followers of your one and only son, Jesus, I ask that you'd stir them. Father, that you'd ask, have them ask that question in their heart of why would I not want to be loved the way that you love us and want to serve the way that you've designed us to serve. I want to get rid of my sin to receive forgiveness. Lord, that you would cause that stirring to happen today. Lord, that you bless our time of response in Jesus' name. Amen.